This is the time of year where you might be feeling like you are eating struggle pie. You might be feeling like every day you wake up, all you can focus on is the struggle in your life and the overwhelm that you're feeling about that struggle. Today, we're going to be unpacking what is a struggle pie and how do we move past it? I have a live studio audience, and I'm so excited to have this conversation with those of you who are jumping on to join in. If you are listening to this playback on the podcast and you want to be part of future um, live recordings, shoot me an email at b at emboldenlabel.com and my link is in the show notes. Let's get started. Hey, this is B. Andrine, formerly known as, oh, good Lord, we don't have time for that. This is My Self-Worth is a Size Zero, a podcast brought to you by Embolden Label. Here, you'll turn your negative inner dialogue into a goal-crushing identity. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you let someone see you from the inside out? That's what I thought. Welcome to the second community live podcast recording of the Embolden Label community. And this will be airing on the podcast, My Self-Worth is a Size Zero. This is a brand new community. We've just launched it. And it's for those of us who know that we have so much more to offer the world. And we want to come together and talk about these negative labels that we're wearing and how we can move those neg negative labels out of the way and really do what we were called to do in this world. So today's episode is going to be a follow-up from last week's episode about resiliency. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that episode, I highly recommend it. It's with one of my favorite friends and mentors, Ed Beard. And we really dive into what is resiliency, how do you know if you're high resilient or low resilient, and what do you do with that? Um, today is going to be a follow-up to that, and we're going to be diving into this subject of struggle. Now, when we think about struggle, oftentimes we are afraid to show up and really vulnerably express what is going in our on in our lives and what we are struggling with. And so for today's episode, we have a live studio audience and our audience has been told or encouraged to change their name to a funny name. So for today, I am going to be known as Princess Consuela Banana Hammock. Um, even though you know my name is Beandrine. I almost said the wrong name. That's the problem with being divorced a couple of times. Um, anyway, um, for today's episode, I'm going with this funny name, and that's so that we can really share our struggles openly. Um, I, I've also encouraged our audience to have a pen and a piece of paper so that they can work through the exercise that we're going to be doing today. I am going to do my best to facilitate this in a way where if you are listening to the pre-recorded playback, you will be able to follow along as well. But if you have questions at the end of this episode, please feel free to email me at b at emboldenlabel.com. And I will be leaving that link in the show notes as always. All right. So I feel like I didn't take a breath during that entire intro. So let me just whoo, bring it down a notch. Um, so for today, I'm going to start with how this all started for me in my origin story, so to speak of Embolden Label and what was Tear Out the Tags, the podcast. And oh, nice. We just had one of our, our um, guests today change their name. I'm so excited. This is going to be such a great episode. Um, so I was um, by all outside um, recognition, 
very successful. I had it all together. I had a great career. I I had success at a young age in a family business. I was a former MBA dancer. Um, and I think when people would take me in or see me, they would always see me in, in a light that I felt like was always on the exterior. And I feel like people would rarely even care to look underneath at what what more there was to offer. And it took me a long time to realize that I wasn't actually presenting all that was underneath because in our culture, that's not necessarily an encouraged thing. And we don't ask the right questions to really get under the surface in most people. And so I had leased office space from my guest from last week and his wife, and I was running my company from inside of their their facility. And they started coaching me. They started developing me without me really even realizing it. And they, um, they had, they did soft skills development and corporate development. And so I was invited after about six to eight months working with them to co-facilitate a training program for a group of vice presidents at a large corporation. And when my, the rules, so to speak, or what I was told was that I just needed a business suit. So I got a business suit. I flew to LA and the morning of the training, I put on this business suit, which was very outside of my normal clothing that I wore for work. And I got to be honest with you, I stood in front of the mirror and had this very empowering conversation with myself about how awesome I was. Like It wasn't a real conversation, but in my head, I was like, you're going to kick the day's butt. Like, this is going to be amazing. This day could change your life. And I was really excited about this opportunity. And so I drove to the corporate campus, checked in through security, and I was escorted to the executive elevator. At the executive elevator, I realized that a lot of eyes were on me. And I started feeling the pressure of really what this moment meant. And I don't think I realized where I was being led and how only really important people get led to wherever I was going. And so I get on that executive elevator and I turn around and all of this is starting to hit me. And in that moment, I felt an itch on the back of my neck and, Oh, I'm going to let somebody in. So with that moment, I felt an itch on the back of my neck and I started kind of adjusting my suit jacket and moving around and trying to make sure that I was, um, you know, avoiding whatever this irritation was. And I reached back and realized it was just a really thick embroidered tag on the back of my suit jacket. And in that moment, when I realized I couldn't resolve the irritation, I couldn't just rip it out or move it or tuck it back in my negative thoughts and all of the crappy things that I used to say to myself came up all at the same time. And I remember thinking, you aren't qualified for this. You're too young. They're going to laugh you out of the room. You're not educated enough. Um, I mean, a number of things went through my brain in a matter of just seconds. And by the top, by the time I reached the top of the elevator, I had torn my self-worth down to a size zero. Now, I just rebranded this podcast as my self-worth is a size zero. And for me, it's been so much about how we don't have conversations about how big or small our inner being is, our inner emotions, our inner self-worth, the the thoughts and labels that we put on ourselves. And so at that moment, I felt like I had very little left to offer. 
And so I um, got into the meeting and luckily I had two mentors who would have never let me fail. But when I was riding the elevator back down that day, I realized that, um, you know, this was these tags, these itchy tags that I was feeling, or this one itchy tag that was irritating me the whole day was so similar to these labels that we pick up through our lives. And so, um, I want to say hi. Hi guys. Um, I'm pausing really fast because we have a few people that jumped on. So I just wanted to welcome them. And if you guys will just jump on mute, um, and then you can jump in as soon as, um, we dive into the content would be great. Um, so anyway, I realized that all of these labels that I had collected were either labels that didn't belong to me, or they were beliefs that I had collected because of past mistakes or life experiences or, or a number of other things. And so that was where tear out the tags began. Now, tear out the tags was wonderful, except for people thought that I was telling you to live without negative labels. And that is not at all what I am promoting. The labels, I'm sorry. I am promoting living without negative labels. I am not promoting living without labels at all because when you have a label and you know who you are and how you identify, you can keep yourself safe and protected as well. And so this brings me into this subject of struggle. And I'm going to pitch this up to the audience here um, and everyone who has joined in today because I know that so many of us are going through a season of struggle. And oftentimes the holidays will put a magnifying glass on that. So I'm really excited to, to hear what we are, um, <laughs> what, what we are going to be getting into today. I'm laughing because some of the names on here are cracking me up. Um, so, um, you guys, what is your definition of struggle? How do you know if you're struggling? Anybody want to jump in? I think I really start to pay attention to that negative inner voice. Um, I'm going to kind of blow my cover a little bit, so to speak, but a, a lot of how I identify is having cerebral palsy or having a physical disability. So when I start to feel that struggle, so to speak, those negative voices in my head are saying, that's how people see you. They don't see you as joysticks or they don't see you as, you know, this person that is doing the, these things in life, they see you for what you can't do. Mm, and tell me what joysticks means to you. I saw that you changed your name to that. And so I want you to, I want you to share a little bit about why you changed your name to joysticks for today. Uh, because that's basically a nickname for me. So for anybody that knows me, knows that I have cerebral palsy. So I use a power chair um, that uses a joystick. So it's kind of an empowering thing. Um, and gets rid of that negative connotation of like, hey, yeah, it brings me back to being a kid and, and having a dream of being a race car driver, so to speak. Totally. Now, I, now I get to live it. So I've just what? taken something that I perceived as negative for a long time and turned it into a positive. I love that. That's so cool. Thank you for sharing joysticks. Anybody <laughs> else want to dive in on what is your personal definition of struggle? Hey, B, this is that. Can you hear me? Yes. My definition of struggle is when the weight of a problem stifles me and I'm not doing what I should be doing. 
how do you recognize that you aren't doing what you should be doing? Well, when my focus is on, I always, we always should be doing something. But when I'm focused on the problem and I am the solution to that problem or what I should be doing is kind of off the radar, then I'm struggling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Did you change your name to anything today? Or are you going by Ed? <laughs> I'm just Ed. <laughs> just Ed. We'll call him Mr. Ed for today. There you go. Well, <laughs> Thanks for sharing, Ed. Anybody else want to dive in and talk about your definition of struggle? Okay, I'm going to move on. If you want to dive in, just unmute and and cut me off. Um, and I want to highlight a little bit. I, I really appreciate those who shared their definitions of struggle. And it's interesting because my friend Joysticks brings up a really interesting point that I wanted to touch on today. And for some of us that um, this isn't um, this isn't something that is as easy to do. And so that is that we present with our price tag first. Now, for those of you who are new to the, the podcast, I talk about tags as in the labels we wear, the way we identify ourselves, the way we would categorize ourselves or introduce ourselves into the world. And so when I say you present with your price tag, that means you present with your value or what you want the world to think your value is first. Now, for many of us, that's just simply how we look how we show up in the world, the type of clothing we wear. Um, for me, I love shoes. I'm a shoe person. And so if I wear a, a, a like neat pair of shoes, I get to present a part of me, a part of my perceived value to the world. Now it's just a hobby for me or something that I like, but I feel like it says something about me. Now there are other things that are on our price tags that we share with people. If we get a chance to introduce ourselves and so I want to ask you guys, um, when you meet someone new, what is the most common thing that they tell you about themselves? They talk about their, their, their family life and then what they do as a career. Mm -hmm. um, I think that they really want to push that career because going back to what you were talking about, our price tags, right? We want our price tag to be high to the world. And if we say, oh, I'm a lawyer, I'm a doctor, whatever it is, then all of a sudden that tells the other person like, okay, this person is successful. And really it can be a mask for how they really feel. They're just trying to project how they want you to feel about them. For sure. Um, I want to bring up really quick, and I hope Ed will jump on when I share this. Um, last week, I introduced him on the podcast and I said, Ed, who are you? And instead of telling me a whole bunch of labels, he told me what he wants to be known for. And I thought that was so interesting that the way he responded had really nothing to do with these roles that he plays in his life or the achievements that he has had. Um, although him being a mentor to me was in that as far as what he wants to be known for. And I thought that was such an interesting way to present with his price tag and it was it offered so much more depth than what I'm used to in our normal day-to-day -day interactions. So Ed, what is the value 
in showing up with your price tag as far as what the world sees you as? Well, it actually puts your struggles in perspective. And to answer your question, one of the, one of the other questions is, one of the first things people tell you about themselves when you meet them, it can often be their struggles. Traffic, getting to the Christmas party, or who knows what, how cold it is and all that kind of stuff. Now, the value in knowing who you are is it, it changes the ratio of the struggle. And the ratio is what part of that struggle is real and what part is made up. Like what part of that struggle is a belief and a habit, a bad belief and a bad habit that are compounding the problem of the struggle. And so if you know who you are, the reality of the struggle gets smaller and, or the, real, the reality of the struggle gets more manageable because the emotions you add to the struggle become smaller. And so the struggle itself becomes smaller. I mean, there's people that over Thanksgiving, they struggle more with burning the turkey than Joystick does with his cerebral palsy mm-hmm. because they emote to the struggle. So they, they blow it out of perspective. Well, knowing who you are, what you want to be known for, if you really know yourself and you're in touch with that, struggles aren't, they're there, they're real, but they aren't over magnified. Right. Absolutely. So I want to touch on, thank you for sharing, uh, Mr. Ed. I want to touch on, (laughs) I'm going to touch really fast on, um, I, I noticed two things when I am going about my day in the world, or if I'm on social media or even in the news and our culture seems to have these two really harsh conversations happening or, or maybe not conversations, but these kind of harsh tones happening. And one is complaining, which we're all used to. And that's really, you know, normal in the subject of what we're talking about today, where we're just complaining about our struggles. And then the other, the other category is toxic positivity. And that's almost like bulldozing over any struggle and not even not dealing with it, not recognizing it or realizing it. And that's where I would, where I would say we are, we have a habit in this culture of presenting with that price tag. And there's a a certain vulnerability underneath that. That's really scary. And it leaves us at risk, which is another reason why I encouraged today's guests to change their name on the podcast, because there is a, there is a risk when we share too much of our struggle, when we're going through it with those who, you know, may use it against us or may not understand our struggle or may be wired differently than us. And so this, this complaining versus toxic positivity makes me think that our world should be more full of support and problem solving. And that is what Mr. Ed did for me when he started mentoring me is he saw the struggle, but he asked me the right questions to move me out of the struggle. And so we're going to get into that more today. Um, I woke up this morning to two pieces of information. Now, for those of you who think it's a terrible idea to look at social media first thing in the morning, um, it is something I need to work on. So full disclosure, I jumped on social media and I saw two pieces of information. The first thing that I came across is that Stephen Twitch boss, who was the DJ on the Ellen show for years, died suddenly and he passed away yesterday and it was unexpected. And they think that they, that he may have taken his own life, but it's interesting when a celebrity dies because there's all of this chatter 
going around the internet. So all kinds of people are coming out of the woodwork saying all kinds of different things. And it's kind of this tornado of content that no one can really sort through. Now, I know nothing about Twitch other than that he comes from the dance community and I was part of that dance community and that it's tragic that he passed. And instantly I go to his wife, who is also a dancer, and she is a partner in their business and she they have three children. And I think immediately about the type of struggle that she is suddenly going through that she did not plan for. And it's two weeks before Christmas and the pressure that comes with whatever it is that she's going to be navigating. And the second thing that I came across after seeing this tragic news is a video by Mel Robbins. Now, if you are familiar with Mel Robbins, she's fabulous. She's a motivational speaker and author, and she is the founder of the five second rule. I would also say, judging by her content, that she's high resiliency. Now, she may have become high resiliency, which is what Ed and I discussed on last week's episode, and that is practicing showing up in a resilient way to overcome the struggle more quickly. And there is a number of other definitions that we could throw into that, but that's the general rule of what high, res high resiliency looks like. Now, usually I love her stuff and I'm not here to dog on her. However, today's episode hit me funny. And so, or not episode, but just her little short clip that she said. And so I'm going to read it to you. And then I want to get your reaction of what your thoughts are on this. And this, so what she said this morning is, isn't it annoying to be around somebody who's who not only doesn't change, but they wallow in their circumstances. I'm going to give you um, some specific tactics for those who wallow. She said, I call this the six month rule. The people in your life get six months to wallow about anything. They get six months to wallow about divorce, six months to wallow about the weight they've gained. They get six months to wallow about the job they lost or whatever else. Once they wallow or once the wallowing passes the six month mark, you now have a boundary to set. You are no longer allowed to talk about this in front of me. The second that you would like for this to change, I am here for you. I am here to help you, but I am not available for you to stay stuck. I care about you too much. And an interesting thing will happen. That person will be mortified and they will probably stop calling you for a while because they're still addicted to their wallowing. You didn't stay, you didn't say stop wallowing. You said, I'm not available for it. So you know who changed in that relationship? You did. You changed what was what you're available for. And so when you get frustrated about something else, someone else complaining, cut off your access to the complaining. You're not saying, I don't love you. You're actually saying the opposite. You're saying, I love you so much that I'm not going to be a part of you staying stuck. When your friend is ready to change, guess what? They will because they will want to. Okay. I read that a little, that was probably a little hard to follow, but did everybody get a sense of what she was saying there? I thought it was fine. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Yes. Um, how do you guys react to that? What she said? I'm, I'm going to jump in on this one. Okay. This is Tracy. Sweet tea. Uh, sweet tea, baby. <laughs> um, I, this one's an interesting one. And I, I felt myself as you were reading it, getting a little bit mad at how she came across. Um, I, mm. looking back at my, 
life and one circumstance is that I was a widow at 30. Um, it is a part of my life. It's a part of who I am. It has shaped me into a beautiful woman, a better friend, um, a more conscious human in terms of seeing people more openly and understanding that every one of us is going through something at any given moment. And sometimes you don't even know when you're at a grocery store or at a gas station or driving down the road that someone literally just lost their husband, their mother, their sister, whatever their circumstances are. Um, I, it's been, I'm 52 now. I will always talk about that. I will talk about him. I am married now with three beautiful children. However, I've never wallowed in it, even on the day that he died. I've become out better and stronger instead of bitter. And I think there's a difference in, I think she was coming across it or maybe how I heard it was that she's viewing all of that as complaining. And I think that as long as I'm not sitting and it's still in a fetal position, but I'm wanting to be an encouragement to others. I want to be strength for others. I want to share my story in a way that's going to encourage others that it will be okay, that God is good, that, that, that there will come a day where you can be happy again and whole and healed and new. Um, that's a, that's a different, that's a different level for me, if that makes sense. Yeah, no. And that's, that's actually why I brought it up. So when you think of the word wallow is complaining, the only word that you would attach to that, is that what you think of is complaining when you think of the word wallow? I think complaining was in her, I think it was in something that you read. I think it was, or maybe did she say, she used, she used the word wallow a lot. I don't know if she said complaining. Um, I think maybe that's just what I took out of it mm-hmm. that I were reading that. And I was listening to her words. It was like, that's what I was gaining from that was that like, it's time to move forward. It's time to move on. I love you enough to not wallow anymore. I get that too, because I ha- we have all had people in our lives that are, we're still talking about the same relationship, the same, the same, you know, toxic relationship or toxic friendship or toxic work environment. And you're like, then change it. Cause I'm that way too. I'm like, I can't listen to you anymore if you're not going to change something. Like, let's move forward from it. So I think that there's value to encouraging a friend, a coworker, a spouse, a daughter, a son, whoever in those relationships to move forward and to grow and not stay stuck. I think maybe the wallowing comes into staying stuck. I think as long as you're really growing and every day you're waking up going, today's going to be a better day. What right. am I going to change? How can I make my, my thing? One of my things is like, I want to be better today than I was yesterday in, in, in some way it could be the smallest little thing, but then I'm not stuck in the same place I was yesterday or the day before that, or the day before that something, 
I'm a better friend, a better wife, a better mom, a better, whatever that might be. Um, but even physically, you know, if I work out more or if I, whatever it might be, maybe I'm just kinder, <laughs> maybe just try to be a little nicer, Tracy, when you wake up <laughs> where you don't, um, you don't wallow or stay stuck. I guess maybe that's my, what that means to me about that, that yeah. staying wallowing so, so what I heard in what you just said is that part of what she said had value and makes sense and is necessary. And then yep. part of what she said almost caused like a charge also. Um, mm-hmm. and I felt the same way. So I, I want to get, I want to hear from someone else on this. Um, when I read that from Mel Robbins, where did your minds go as far as how she presented that? So my mind went to, um, some codependency in my family and mm. and all, all of that and i kind of related to it with what she said you know because there there's people that you know have been helped out and that are relying upon me but it's like okay enough's enough you have to make the change for yourself but i also really value what sweet tea said because that struggle the loss of her husband my cerebral palsy, it's a piece of me. It's a piece of her. And I think that God uses these struggles and these instances in life to not only teach us something and bring us closer to him, but also so that we can use it as ministry to help other people. Um, So I kind of see both sides of the coin here. For sure. I'd love to hear from Ed on this because he, we had such a powerful episode about resiliency. So Ed, if you're available to pop on, I'd love to know what you think about how she presented this. I think it's a little harsh and I think it's a little short sighted. I'll tell you why, because, because sweet tea brought up the point. There's a between removing yourself from someone who's having a bad day and staying in the hunt with them and showing them what a good day is. You can not align with their bad days, still stay there. You don't have to agree with the bad. But you, if you just completely remove yourself, you're not going to help them out of that either. So let me ask you, there was a day when your days weren't so good. If I just said, hey, B, when you, uh, when you get back to a good day, call me. Would that have helped you? No. And that's, that's why I brought this up today. No, it would not have yeah. helped me. No, and I help. So no, go ahead. And I think she's just being a little harsh. I think she's being a little harsh with she's she's completely she's saying completely remove yourself from someone who's having a bad day. You get six months. That's it. Now, I will tell you for sure. The person who said that has had a struggle in their life more than six months. Guarantee it. Absolutely. Yeah. So what? That's just short-sighted. That was just a little harsh for me. Yeah. So I actually, it's funny because I saw these posts back to back and I thought to myself, I wonder if she would call this woman who just lost her husband and said, Hey, I'm just letting you know, you have six months to wallow. So in, like use it all up. You know, it, it did feel really harsh. <laughs> yeah. Now, obviously those two messages came back to back for me. So they, they were incredibly harsh, but I was thinking about how much this went from like that, like complaining to toxic positivity. It's for me, it's like her just washing over, like you, you have this long to move on and get past it. And I think it's interesting because we've lost the friendship and the mentorship 
and the community, like all the good stuff that we really need in our lives to be healthy and to find joy and to have those connected relationships. It's all lost in attitudes like that. Because if I'm a good friend, then my best friend who lost her brother in Iraq, I'm going to let her wallow in that as long as she needs to. And if 20 years later, when she hits the anniversary of when he passed and she needs to wallow extra heavy that year, I'm going to be here for it because I'm her friend. Like I'm, I'm part of her posse. I'm part of her, her people. And that's so much of what Ed has been to me. And honestly, everyone on this call has been to me, um, through, you know, one of the, the biggest struggle years I've been through. So I'm curious for those of you who have piped in, who want to jump in on this question, what is this doing? So um, this question might be kind of muddy, um, but I want us to really kind of just expand and explore into this. What do you think this is doing to our, to our world, to our culture, to, to kind of dismiss people when they're going through a hard thing or, you know, like I've had a lot of people that just kind of close the door on me. Like, I can't take this. I'm moving on. What do you think this is doing to relationships, to friendships, to community? I think it's making people lean more towards computer screens and phone screens and, and stuff like that. Not really building that authentic connection that, that people, you know, yearn for because it's like, okay, who, who can, who can I trust? If, if I open up and I share with B, you know, a certain struggle in my life and, and I, to use Mel Robbins words, wallow in it more than six months, is she going to slam the door in my face and say, sorry, joysticks, I can't help you anymore. Like, and I think it makes it harder for people to open up because they know, or they have this sense that, Hey, I'm going to say this, or I'm going to share this, but they're just going to walk away anyway. So I'm not even going to bother opening up and I'm going to have to deal with these demons on my own. Mm. Yeah. And how lonely of a place is that to deal with all that on your own? I think for uh, my position, I'm sorry. Go ahead, sweetie. Um, my position on it is that we all desire to feel safe with people, with someone. Um, it doesn't have to be, I, I like to keep my circle a little bit smaller. Uh, some people feel safer the more that they share with as many people as they'd like to. Um, but I do think we all need that. I just think that's just an inherent need that is just in our core. And when a, I guess, boundary like that is put out, that for me, I'd be like, okay, well, I know how safe I am up until that point. And then I guess we're done, um, which is sad to me because I think about how much, if she was my friend, how much would she lose not walking that path with me? Because I'm such a different person now than I was then. And again, I had, I had a friend a few years ago when I was talking about it, say, oh my God, are we still talking about this? Mm. And I, it just shut me up. And if you know me, that takes a lot. 
I'm like, wow, okay. So we're no longer friends um, because I know that she's not safe for me anymore. Right. And that I can't, I can only go so far with this human. And that's sad because I think, wow, what a beautiful friendship she now has missed out on in seeing me grow, seeing me move forward, seeing me. I mean, I, I write, I post on Instagram all the time. I, I posted something the other day, 22 years later, but it was about grief and it was about what it's done for me and how grief is a beautiful thing because without grief, it means we've never had love. Mm. And as hard as it was, and I didn't ever want that outcome to be what it was, but she's not even my friend on Facebook or Instagram to even read that portion of anything. So what has she denied herself? Right by placing that boundary on that. So I think it's kind of, it's, it's a shame. Thank you for sharing that sweet Mm -hmm. tea. Mm -hmm. I like calling you guys these fun names. (laughs) Mr. Ed was piping in. Go ahead, Mr. Ed. Well, she brings up just a wonderful point. What, what that six months is, is your rule for me. And that's where the world is going. It's called selfishness. Mm-hmm. And the, the author of that quote is just being pure selfish. You have six months for me because I'm giving you six months. Well, when you give me six months, you know, I'm, I mean, I'll, I'll hang in there for as long as you want. Now, I, that doesn't mean I'm going to align with your with the added emotion you give to your struggle. I don't have to do that, but I'm always there. That that is just I don't know. It's just very upsetting that someone would even look at it that way. Right. Yeah. What if it, six months was right? Then theoretically, a time frame is right. So she'll give me six months, but I'm giving her 24 hours. I'm just as right as she is. That's just my time frame for her. Right. Got 24 hours to get out of the mud. And the challenge is, I've never, there's a lot of challenges I haven't had that I can't relate to. I've never had cerebral palsy, I've never lost a baby at birth. Uh, you know, so what to say you have six months is to say, I have had every challenge that mankind has ever had. I've managed them all. Yeah, right. not so much. Well, and it, it lacks empathy. And I think it's so interesting because we find that these labels are thrown around like, oh, she's a an empath. Oh, he's a narcissist. Oh, she's a, everything's kind of rooted in these labels. And, and so many of us are referring to these labels, but we, we all have such different definitions of what those things are. And I'm just based on what you all have said, um, in, in so many of you are sharing so vulnerably about some of those bigger struggles in your life. And, you know, joysticks is describing a struggle that he has had in his life. That's a part of who he is, a small part of who he is. And it's something that people recognize almost immediately when they meet him only because his struggle happens to be something that can be seen on the outside where sweet tea had a, a a really big struggle that people probably were more willing to discount because they couldn't see it. And so because she could hide it or because she could show up in her day and, and, and I'm sure Sweet Tea would say, and and I'd love for you to pipe in on this, that there were days that you showed up more resilient, like you were feeling tough and had your stuff together, but inside the grief was was really part of the struggle. Yes, sorry, I couldn't unmute myself. You're fine. 
<laughs> um, I'm sure my husband wishes that button would work more. Um, <laughs> Uh, no, I, I, I love what you said about that actually. And about how, um, outward, you know, the, 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 the view obviously of, um, just an outward struggle, maybe like a physical struggle versus an inward struggle. And, and that, and that, yeah, there were a lot of times where, yeah, I can get dressed and I can put a smile on my face or I can at least walk through a grocery store. And, and meanwhile, everybody around me has no idea that I was just in the car sobbing because I just needed every bit of energy that I could come up with to just walk through the produce aisle. Right. Um, to just get some food because I just didn't even understand what was happening in my life at that point. And so, um, I think even, you know, going back to something that Ed said too, about just the lacking of empathy. And it's like, absolutely. Like, I don't, I think it's like, we all have stuff going on in our lives, but we can't shut other people down every single time. We're like, Oh no, not going to deal with that. I'm not going to deal with her. Oh no, that's too much for me. And I think it's made me and hopefully, gosh, I wish all of us would have more of, of that empathy and just be like, wow, like I see your struggle. And I, although I've never walked your path or in your shoes or, or known what you've known or felt the pain that you felt in this certain instance, I'm going to love you because that's what God would have us do. And yes, are we going to get maybe tired? I guess it just depends on what that issue is. Because again, we've probably all had people in our lives who are like, oh my God, Aunt Betty, shut up. (laughs) You know, where it's the same thing we've been listening to for 10 years. But I think when we come with with a true open heart to seeing people's struggles and hopefully growth in that it gives us more empathy because we're like, Hey, if you're going to work on you and then you're going to teach me something in the process and they'll glean from our strength when they see that we're moving through every day, just a little bit better. Like I said, than we were yesterday. Yeah. Well, and that being that resilient person of like, you know what I can't control some of the things we can't control. We can't control cerebral palsy. We can't control the death of someone. We can't control those things. So when we can't control those things, it's, it makes us more resilient because we're like, okay, okay. Now, what am I going to do with that? Yeah. Well, you make make such a great point as far as us, this, uh, most of our struggle is outside of our control. I wouldn't say all of it, but most of our struggle is outside of our control, or at least we think it is. And, you know, you bring up cerebral palsy being out of our control. And so I want to, I want him to pipe in on this because he's told me many stories about how people will receive him and dismiss him in a moments and just share. I remember you sharing a story with me about someone on a, on a bus who just said something to someone else on the phone, but it was about you. And had not even had, had an interaction with you, had not spoken a word to you, but, you know, really took an opportunity to cut you down sort of behind your back, but in front of your face. Um, And you have experiences like this often you're, you have to show up in a resilient way often in situations like that. Absolutely. And you know what, I'll give you a 
quick story that just happened the other day in regards to this. So I was on a bus the other day, a city bus, and by the ADA rules, when somebody gets on with an assistive device or an older senior citizen person, if you're an able-bodied person, you're asked to get up. That's that's kind of the law. I didn't ask the gentleman to get up, but he got up and I got on the bus and I'm sitting there and the chair is strapped in. He gets on the phone and calls the transportation authority in the overall big city that I live in and says that there should be a bus strictly for just wheelchairs. And there was me and another gentleman that was in a wheelchair right right in front of him. So I looked at him and I said, you know, it kind of looks like you have some issues that you need to deal with within yourself. And I pray that you get are able to do that work to get that help that you need because it's not the plague. You're not going to catch it. It's fine. Mm -hmm. But I think also too, um, going back to my story and how I show up, I think it hurts. Sometimes it all depends on how I wake up that day. Sometimes it really hurts, but sometimes it's the best thing that somebody can do because I really enjoy having people doubt me and then going above and beyond and proving to them that, hey, you had this misconception about me, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my pain, turn it into purpose, and I'm going to help you become a better person because of it. Because at the end of the day, everything I do is for God. So he gave me this struggle and allowed me to carry this cross to help other people. And that's, that's kind of my goal. Yeah. Well, and joysticks, how did you, how did you get to the point where you were that resilient where you could almost find joy in, in showing someone how, how they're wrong or how they have misjudged you? Because I, I looked around, I looked around at the world, right. And I see people that are able-bodied or, that have a more physical challenge than I would typically have. And I say to myself, man, I am so lucky. I get to go to the gym every day. I get to jump out of this chair, do my weights, do whatever I have to do, do jujitsu, all these different things. When there's so many other people, whether they're able-bodied or not, that would love to be able to do the things I'm doing. So for me to use Mel Robbins' word, wallow, in my pity and my sorrow and the things that I typically have no control over, that's disrespectful to God. And that's disrespectful to people like you who, who have invested in my journey. Um, and I feel that I'm called to a much bigger thing to use this cerebral palsy as a tool to connect with other people. Because one of the things that draws us together, no matter what our struggle is, is that we've all overcome something. So mm. I think what we can do, even though we can't relate to each other's struggles right on, we know what it's like to overcome that struggle. We know what it's like to feel that pain. So how can we use that to be the person for other people in their time of need that we wanted? Yeah, I love that. Well, and we're going to dive right into from that comment, how we can tie this concept of resiliency from last week to the struggle that we're currently going through. Now, I've decided that for today's episode, we're going to cut it here because we went on to have a lot longer conversation about struggle and what our personal struggle pies look like. And then we went through the exercise. Um, but for those of you listening, I wanted to simplify it a little bit. 
So if you have a piece of paper and a pen, or you can imagine this in your mind, draw a big circle on a piece of paper and create slices that represent the struggle that you have in your life. Now, if you have one big struggle that's like 75% of your pie, draw three quarters of your pie and label it whatever that that struggle is. If you have a lot of different struggles and, um, and maybe there's eight pieces of that pie, go ahead and draw that. Whatever your personal struggle pie looks like, um, I want you to draw a picture of what that struggle really entails. Then when you are finished with that, you take those slices, no matter how big or small they are, and you transfer them to a larger pie with many, many more pieces. So I like to start with a two, a 32 piece pie. And you'll go ahead and draw that. If you want a copy of my version of this, go ahead and shoot me an email and I will email you a copy of that struggle pie exercise. And on your bigger expanded pie, I want you to transfer whatever those labels are, whatever the struggle was, to your bigger pie. And what you will see is that you have a number of other slices available and that your struggle suddenly became much smaller than it was when your focus was on just your struggle. When you have changed your vision from everything about your identity being 100% focused on your struggle to now your struggle is just a part of your identity and your life. Now, if this doesn't make sense, I'm happy to jump on a call with you. Shoot me an email at b at emboldenlabel.com. And I'm looking forward to future community episodes. I have appreciated so much of the feedback I've already gained from those of you who have jumped on. And I truly appreciate your support in building this Embolden Label community where we come together and we courageously step outside of our comfort zones to confidently chase our goals and show up in a world that really wants to create a snapshot of who we are based on one experience they've had with us. So if you know that you have so much more to offer the world than what you currently feel like you are recognized for, join us for the next live call, which will be next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Mountain Standard. See you next time.